Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Today I'm joined by John Burton, co-founder of Pretty Clever Studio based in Bournemouth who recently got their B Corp accreditation badge. Very exciting times for the agency. They've got big plans moving forward to keep doing the amazing work they're doing in what John refers to as the do-good space. And that's something we're going to talk about, where that ambition came from, how he got there. It's quite a, it's another case of a wonderful winding path that I think there's a lot to learn from. We're going to get into that with an agency that describe themselves as smart, caring, ethical folks who are keen to make a positive impact on the world. I'm going to ask John a big question at the end of the show about hope, about optimism, about how much of that we have just now. Hello and welcome to the show. I am Ben Tatlin, your host of The Creative Condition. Welcome back. I am sweating. I have got such a bead on. It's oh, it's not even funny anymore. Oh dear, I don't know how you guys feel. I find it very hard on a, on a number of levels. I find this hard physically, mentally and emotionally, sadly, because of what it means and the climate crisis and, and, and the way that we seem to just keep plodding along like nothing's wrong. And oh dear, um, I could talk about that all day, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Um, we're going to get into good work and about the difference that can make today with John Burton. Um, how are you doing? How did, what did you think of Kieran Lewis? I, I had a great time talking to Kieran, like I mentioned, it being a long time in the making. Got great feedback on the show. It was a joy to chat to. Um, and we're moving it forward from one person doing great work to an agency doing wonderful work. We've got Pretty Clever's John Burton on the show today. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm going to ask John quite a big question at the end about hope and about optimism and about how he feels about the future because... When the sun's beating down on the studio like this in the afternoon and I'm sweating and it's just hard to get out of a, anything other than a very sluggish, minimal mindset, it can feel quite depressing and it can feel quite despairing. I'm a, I'm a very sensitive person and I, and I get affected, as I've mentioned many times, by the climate emergency and, and the lack of action and the lack of ability that I, like so many others, have to do what I would really love to do, which is just down tools on everything. Stop drawing, stop writing, turn around and face this monster, this existential threat. But that's not the system we live in, is it? We have to we have to get on and we have to keep doing these. We have to keep ticking our day-to-day sheets to make money and to keep existing. And it's, what's the end game? It's pretty terrifying. So that's why I wanted to talk to John about that today. But I'm happy to say we do have quite an uplifting chat with a person who has worked hard, taken some big personal and business risks to get to a place where they're working with the clients they want to be work with, working with, who they feel are doing work that's additive to the world. 
It's doing great stuff with great people. Um, it was an absolute joy. I drove over to Bournemouth to talk to John. I didn't need much of an excuse to get over and see the lovely beaches there, which is what I did. Had a nice lunchtime explore, photographing weird things, as you guys will know by now that I like to do. Um, more about that in a minute. Uh, I just want to give a big thank you to the ongoing sponsor, founding sponsor of the show, Illustration X. You can check out their global range of illustration and animation portfolios now over at illustrationx.com or on social at We Are Illustration X. Great bunch of people representing a big, big bunch of global artists, illustrators, and as many specialists as you can imagine. Illustration X, of course, for a little while now, just like Pretty Clever, today's guest, have been certified B Corp. So, just to clarify what that actually means, certified B Corporations are leaders in the global movement for an inclusive, equitable and regenerative economy. Unlike other certifications for businesses, B-Lab is unique in our ability to measure a company's elite social and environmental impact. So, important stuff. B Corp certification is a designation that a business is meeting high standards of verified performance, accountability and transparency on factors from employee benefits and charitable giving to supply chain practices and input materials. As it mentions there, rigorous testing. So big ups to Illustration X for being exactly that. And uh, we are going to get into that with John today. Um, so yeah, that's we're getting into the good stuff today. So I had Katie Klenchensky from Smack Studios on the show recently. I had Kieran Lewis, um, a, a freelance designer who's doing incredible work with many, many people. We we talked about the book Still Breathing, 100 Black Voices on Racism, um, and 100 Ways to Change the Narrative by Harper Collins. It's a magic book and I, I can't recommend it any higher. Very powerful, hard-hitting stuff presented very clearly, typographically and photographically by Kieran who designed it. We get right into that. Um, and Pretty Clever approached me not too long back and said they were fans of the show. Was there any room for a guest, which doesn't happen not nearly enough. I get hit up by PR people and every now and again I get a brave soul who goes, can I be on? <laughs> and the answer often is yes, if there's a good story there, if there's something that strikes me, uh, strikes a chord with where I'm going with the show, which ebbs and flows and changes all the time, then I'll do it. It makes my life easier, so get in touch if you've got some stuff you want to share. But this is how Pretty Clever describe themselves on their website, and uh, I do implore you to go and have a look at their awesome work. We're smart, caring, ethical folks who are keen to make a positive impact on the world. That's why we want our business to be a force for good, improving the lives of our employees, people and their communities, and doing right by our planet. They've got a wonderful setup and a shared studio space. The energy was brilliant when I talked to John. I loved hearing his story. It's one of those inspiringly inspiring winding paths <laughs> as as we often seem to have because as I've been writing about extensively as I come up on the, the first draft of the Creative Condition book creativity is an extension of us and we're changing all the time and we have to live a lot of life before we really understand where we are and then when we get there it changes so you have to stay attuned to those feelings and as Dan Kieran said in a previous episode you have to do course correction you have to check that you're still not on a course you set 20 years ago without seeing if the place you're going to is even there anymore. And I think it's really important. And um, it's a great story today with John about that stuff. So I hope you enjoy it. We're, we're coming up on the big 200th episode, which I haven't yet decided who it's going to be. But coming up, we've got Jake 100 and Mac Ferrari, co-founders of Bike Storms. That's a powerful one. That's incredible. Um, we've got Jen Graneman, co-author with Andre Solo of Sensitive, The Power of a Thoughtful Mind in an Overwhelming World. Big one. Um... I would go as far as saying that a massive 
majority in the creative industry are sensitive people. And um, her book is incredible. Go and read it. It's about how sensitive is, you know, is termed as this thing of weakness and toughen up and the toughness myth and all these things. But it's our greatest strength when we learn to manage the downside. And I mentioned the climate crisis at the top of the show. I've been doing a lot of work this summer because I had a real mental health dip, or at least for me, because I've been a relatively happy person. I've been very fortunate having my creativity as an outlet. So I've been doing a lot of work on understanding my brain and changing my thought processes so that even when things are bad, which they really are at the moment, we have to be a lot more alarmed about the climate crisis and stop what we're doing and turn and face it. That said, I'm getting a lot better at managing my mind and learning to be happy in the moment even if things are bleak and trying to just take small actions to make sure I'm engaged with the problem as much as I can be within this fucked up system that we live in, which is capitalism. Um, you know, you just have to hope that we reach a point, a tipping point before the tipping point where we all turn around and go, right, enough is enough. You lot need to be with us or against us. And I'm talking about governments and big corporations. You need to get on board. This is a problem that's going to, you know, affect every single one of us, if not a lot worse than affect. And we have to deal with it. Um, I did take heart from today's conversation. I took heart from Kieran Lewis. I took heart from Katie Klenchensky. I've taken heart from every guest that's doing something they care about and leading with their own heart. So there is spirit. Creativity keeps me sane. It keeps my equilibrium. Um, but I'm not going to prattle on for too much longer. Big thank you to Illustration X. Do check them out. If you get a chance, please do review, subscribe, and tell a friend about the show. It's a massive help. I do this in my own time. Um, I spend a lot more time than I probably should on it because I'm passionate about creativity and I'm determined to leave an archive that is accessible for anyone um, long into the future that will help get creativity to its right just place at the top of our cultures and societies. So do us a favour, please. Leave us a good review if you like the show. Tell a friend, review. <laughs> uh, the book's coming along, like I mentioned. The book is approaching a first draft. I'm very very excited about it. I'm very proud. It's a body of work that has become a monster that I didn't plan for. That should be coming to you in early 2024. Um, hopefully, wink wink in time for off festival 2024. We'll get there. But without further ado, Pretty Clever's John Burton. Enjoy. Childhood was working class family. So dad was a carpenter joiner. Um, and then mum worked various different jobs from kind of Argos to office to post office. Um, my dad spent quite a lot of time away, like working on different projects around mm. the world and stuff. Uh, he had his own business for a while and I remember that being quite a kind of tough period in the 80s when the recession hit and he kind of lost that. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of what I saw growing up and then in terms of like family life, two sisters. Um, so good kind of family unit, I mm. guess. Um, it wasn't a particularly, I look back now and it was, I was probably shielded from uh, a lot of stuff in terms of like financials and things like that. I think it was probably quite tough. My mm. dad worked away, my mum worked full time. She had three kids to look after. Um, you know, we didn't have a car for a lot of that time. Mm. And, you know, I remember her kind of, you know, carrying shopping bag from the supermarket and like not being able to get the keys out of the handbag because the carry bags have like cut into the fingers. Oh, and yeah. it's kind of like, and, it, and it's stuff like that that you don't really realise until you're kind of much older and you mm. you think, actually, shit, that was quite tough. 
Um, Are you from these parts? Yeah, so well, uh, so I was born in the Midlands, but then I moved here when I was two. Mm. Um, so I've never really known anything any different, yeah. like growing up. So I grew up down here. Um, I've done various stints in, in London as an adult. Um, but yeah, so so childhood was down here. Went through a fairly kind of standard schooling system. Yeah. Um, you, there was a, a thing that I listened to recently of yours where they were saying, you know, it is if you looked at a child and asked them from a kind of from the creative sector whether there was any kind of inkling that they'd be involved in that later on in life uh yeah there definitely was you know i was always kind of drawing and i was yeah. probably drawing things that kind of you know I, I loved kind of anything kind of zombie grotesque mm. frankenstein kind of stuff and i remember my mum saying to me once like as an adult that she was at one time she was like what is all this stuff that he's drawing um, and I love that. And I went through school, went through a kind of fairly standard schooling system. Um, academically, I think I probably found it quite tough. And, and now I kind of understand why I didn't really fit into that system as much. But, mm-hmm. but then I didn't really understand why I didn't kind of yeah. fit into that system quite as well as maybe I should have done. Um, ended up going to a grammar school, like local grammar school, secondary school. Uh, the focus there was very much on academia and sport. The They did have a kind of arts department that was, I guess, fairly newly refurbished and a design department. But even that was kind of like a separate bolt onto the main building. It was almost like the architecture was apologising as well. And then the drama hall, which I didn't do, but some friends of mine did, was like hidden in the in the wooded bit right so it's almost kind of like it's you know we're that's not what we're here for yeah um so i went through that system um and did kind of gcse's and mm. a levels and did it ever make just a jump in did it ever, did it ever make you feel stupid I, I, I definitely felt stupid at school i don't think you know in the way that i knew i you know would be dawdling in bottom sets or anything like that but i just that's because I ask because I've been writing extensively about this for my next non-fiction book about creativity and education and interviewing a lot of teachers and people in that arena. And I definitely, you know, I wondered, felt quite lost at times in terms of identity. It wasn't until much later in design school and everything else that I started to realise I wasn't stupid. It's just that that system didn't wasn't conducive to perhaps our brains. Yeah, yeah. I think because we went to a school that was, you know supposedly the more academic you sit these exams at like 11 12 years old that then they're like oh you're smart and it's and it's that's not that's not right you and i both know that's not right um i was fairly middle of the road i i didn't need to try that hard to get through the schooling system. Mm. And that was partly because there was always a focus at home from my mum of how important like education was and to get a good education. Mm. So you could kind of have a good life at the end of it. And I think that probably came from a little bit of a place of struggle, of personal struggle, where it was like, do you know what? I didn't do that, but you should do that because that's mm-hmm. going to solve a lot of your problems as you go through life. Um, so I was, yeah, so I kind of went through that system in the middle 
I never really needed to work that hard. I passed the exams. I didn't excel, but then I didn't fail them either. It was kind yeah. of, you know, I got fairly good grades in the grand scheme of things. Um, there were, I don't think I ever felt stupid, but I, did, I certainly kind of felt like some of the skill sets that I had were maybe undervalued or mm. not nurtured. Um, we did, at A-level, I did, I did five A-levels. And one of them was we were forced to do, which was general studies. And none of the university applications took general studies as a kind of UCAS point system. And then I also studied at school, given the option, history of art, mm. which was actually really well regarded by a lot of universities because it's like a history mm -hmm. qualification. And um, we went to the school and we said, can we, we're doing this in our own time. We're finding we're not really having enough time to kind of study this. Can we drop? general studies which kind of feels a bit like a waste of time mm. in order to do this history of art and they were like no so and, it, and it's just exactly where the kind of value led yeah um so i came out of that with a levels and then at the at that point the kind of prior year or two you start kind of choosing where you're going to go and what you're going to do and I think there was there was stuff around uh, graphic design that kind of that I was interested in and kind of commercializing my ability to draw that was kind of like oh you can draw and you can make money from money from it and you can be a graphic designer mm. um, but that was I remember going to a parents evening and sitting down with my art teacher and my mum and sitting down and the general consensus was and that was the time when kind of graphic design was really popular you know it was a cool thing to do yeah and that it was like it was really competitive so mm, do you want to do that and it was and so there was this kind of like you probably don't want to do that because it's really competitive and you have to be really good and it wasn't like you could be really good yeah but you've got to work really hard yeah and you you can do it it was like that's going to be difficult Nick. do you want to do that so i ended up i don't know why looking back on it but maybe it's kind of you see some kind of 90s glamorous TV shows. I ended up doing a law degree starting it. Um, didn't even manage a year of it and hated it. Ended up kind of just all the way through my lectures, just kind of mm. doodling pictures of, of professors and things like that. And, and there were some friends I had that I was at Kingston Uni and some friends doing the graphic design course there. And that's a great course. And they were doing, and I was just like, wow, oh, what you're doing is amazing. Um, but I dropped out and then, um, yeah, then I came back and did a foundation here at AUB and that was great. Um, I think that I wasn't really, still wasn't in the right mindset. I wasn't mature enough to kind of really focus and focus mm. on what that meant for my future. So yeah, I mean, probably didn't do as well as I should have done at that and then kind of fell out of that. And mm. then just went into employment and didn't touch graphic design for a number of years. Mm, interesting. There's two things that jump out from that. And one of them is, I think there's, um, sometimes there's no better way to know where you want to go loosely by tasting what the alternative is. So in your case, a law degree there. I remember working at the factory my dad worked at for many years between first and second year of uni. And it worked perfectly for my dad. We've got quite different brains and, um, you know, fed the family, knew the people there. It was, it was good for him. 
for me, a brain that needs variation. He was, you know, ticking boxes all day and unloading Arctic lorries. He was, I was appreciative of the money I made that summer, but I hated it in that regard. The monotony of it which wasn't for me personally. You know, every evening then the sketchbooks were out and I came back with renewed vigour in my second year. Having done exactly what you described, I didn't take it all this seriously. It wasn't at a place mm. in my life where I was able mm. to do that. And I think that's a really common thread. I think that a lot of us follow our passions or where our heart is. And it takes time for that to become something that you can really apply yourself to because it's this big amorphous industry that we don't quite understand. So why would you? You know, it's mm. almost like you're doing this thing that you're doing your a pleasure in your spare time so it's almost a rite of passage I think mm. you know um, so 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 the, how long did that spell go on for and what happened in between so I guess it came to about mid 20s I got a grip on my life the, <laughs> the prior years before that the kind of five years before that were um, doing various different jobs that I just didn't like various mm. kind of, I did like mortgage advisor, credit controller, like various different uh, university admissions, like mm. lots of different kind of um, roles that just weren't me. And, and it is repetition, go to work and it's kind of like, you know, and, and sales stuff as well. I mean, sales jobs are, you go to work every day and it's, this, this is your target. It's often quite unachievable, but if you hit it, they raise it. Mm-hmm. And it's always, you're almost kind of clawing at that constant, like, oh, I'm not good enough. And every day you're going in kind of with that reinforcement of like mm. unrealistic goals. And it's, and it's not good for the soul, I don't think, or your brain. Um, so yeah, so I did that, ended up in a quite a large FMCG company as their credit controller. And then had a Jerry Maguire thing one day where I was kind of like, fuck this, I'm never doing something I, I don't like ever again mm. um, left and then I'd been I've been doing some graphic design stuff on the side like as a hobby mm. um, my gran had passed away and my mum was like she didn't really leave you anything but we're selling her house and there's a little bit of money I know that you've always had your eye on a Mac computer and I'd been working on kind of like the cheapest mm. dirtiest computer there was and so she bought me a Mac and then I just spent all my spare time just like trying to learn what I could learn mm. about the industry teach me I didn't really think I needed to learn about kind of creativity mm. I just thought I needed to learn how to use these packages and I've been doing some stuff on the side um, and there's one moment that I always talk about where I had some friends in a band and then I got the artwork spec through and I was like, what the fuck is bleed? You know, what am I doing? And I was phoning these printers going, can you tell me how to set this up? And they were just, you could tell on the other end of the phone, they were just like, who's this, who's this idiot? And, um, so yeah, so I did that for a while, kind of part time on the side. And then I had other kind of jobs and it didn't really pay any, Bills. And then I had a really good friend of mine who had a job in a local design studio down here. And he got me some kind of an in through the door to mm. kind of work for free. And then that turned into kind of cheap. And then it kind of went from there and I didn't, didn't look back. Mm. So what's the pretty clever story then? When the so 
Pretty Clever is, we specialise in the for good space. Mm. Um, we are about two weeks into being B Corp certified. We're mm. the first agency in Dorset to do that, as wow. far as I'm aware. Thanks. Um, that's a big milestone for us, and it took a long time. Um, I set that up in 2019. I worked in London until uh, 2012, moved back here, always had an idea that I wanted to run my own studio. Um, I've always been quite vocal about that. Came back, skirted around the idea, launched a kind of, worked as a sole trader, but kind of masqueraded as an agency, as a lot of people do when they start out, Mm -hmm. Um, and traded under a, a different name. And that went on for kind of a number of years in the background to, and I was kind of, you know, as finger in the air stuff as like who wants work and yeah. like maybe a bit of recommendation, no kind of, no, no real planning around it. Never run a business, didn't really know what I was doing. And then that went on for a number of years. Um, and yeah, the money was all right. It was kind of, it was just, it was comfortable and I was doing what I always wanted to do that I thought was kind of a hobby. Um, and then in the background, while that was going on, I was going through a period of myself and my wife have always kind of been interested in what happens if we take this away? Do we really need this? Mm. So she does that on certain things. So, so it was like one time she was like, I'm just going to put a TV away for a month and see if we need the TV. Yeah. And you know, we don't need the TV. We've got we've got a TV again, but <laughs> but it's got we don't need it. Yeah. Um, and I think stuff like that's really interesting to do. You know, to kind of like go to check in every now and then and kind of go, do mm. I need this? Do I need that? And that that was part of a bigger thing that I think we were both going through of kind of where do we where do we sit in the world? What do we need? What's our impact on the planet? What can we do? Um, we went vegan for a long time and kind of experimented with like taking different kind of foods out. Do we need that? Do we, um, and so that kind of changed us, I think, ethically. I'd worked on a couple of projects that were what I now call in the for good space, um, a couple of charities and research companies and stuff like that. Uh, and I'd really enjoyed that work. And I'd also found they were kind of, not doing a disservice to any other industry, but they were actually really nice people to work with. It was kind of like, you know, mm. they, they were setting out to achieve something really good. Um, and then probably kind of 2017, 2018, maybe, um, I was looking at capitalism in a, in a different way and kind of thinking, oh, you know, overconsumption and I'm kind of selling all this stuff and mm. that's my job, but I really love it. Where does that kind of sit with me morally? Um, and then I was on a website of a clothing brand called Cotopaxi and I, I saw a thing at the bottom of their website, it's a B Corp badge and I'm always kind of clicking around different stuff. I clicked on it to find out what it was and it was like all these kind of for good, you know, for good, for profit, Mm. organizations kind of going you can use your business to do good and I was like that's that's what I want to do so it was about 2018 and then 2019 I actually thought right you know I'm not getting any younger I need to do it now otherwise it's never going to happen 
So I'm going to set up a proper company. You know, I'm going to pay myself a salary rather than kind of, you know, just do it as a sole trader. Um, Kate, came, who's my wife, came on board at the same time as kind of doing that, but also went back to uni full-time and kind of left the corporate world. Um, and, yeah, so then we, we decided that we were going to kind of specialise in that for good space, and, and that's what we wanted to do. And I think we wanted to kind of pick up as much work as we could, but the, the end goal was not necessarily to kind of only do that work. Mm. Just, which is what we do now um, so yeah so we did that uh, in, and that was inspired a little bit by B Corp but we didn't kind of start B Corp from day one and then yeah we set that up in 2019 did that for less than a year and then parted ways with some clients mm. and then Covid came around and we were like what have, what have we done um, Covid was tough it was tough for everyone um, and but we came out the back of it and we used that downtime to start that B Corp process and since then we've grown to a team of five and it's you know it's it's worked out all right mm. what's really interesting there to me is uh, the kind of synchronicity it sounds basic when you say out loud but the synchronicity with with your life and, and what you said about taking the TV away and things like that's very interesting to me, because I think we all have our kind of drivers and motivators. Sometimes they can be a little wrong, depending how honest you are with yourself for each of us. I remember finding, well, say finding, stumbling across graphic activism. It sounds really cheesy now, but through Banksy, who just come on the scene when I was studying. Yeah. And what he did was open the doors to people like Black Lorat and um, Ken Garland and a lot of other people that had gone before and done for good work. It's a really good way of putting it. Um, but it just it activated something inside of me that had always been there, um, mischievous as a teenager. Never, you know, never in a really destructive way. I would draw teachers, get in trouble, that kind of thing. Very Dennis the Menace stuff. But you know, it was kind of. But what it did was gave this great vibrancy in life to something that had always been there. And it sounds like a similar thing with you. And I wonder. I think too many people look outside of themselves for answers, particularly in our industry. It's not a criticism, it's very easily done, and I've done it at times, kind of straight from that path. But I think when you really pay attention to how you feel about the world around you and where you are mm. in your life, the, the sort of the crumbs, compasses, however you want to put it, they're there. Mm. Are they not? I mean, not for maybe not for every person, it's all different. But I, I love those kind of stories that it's this, you paid attention to how you felt and where you were in your life, and it kind of gave you some steer. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I think... I don't, I don't know where that comes from necessarily. I think there was probably a multitude of factors in that. I think doing like stuff I hated for a number of years mm-hmm. was kind of, was complete freedom. And, and it was really important for me that I was who I that I was happy. Yeah. And you're going to spend like eight hours a day working minimum a lot more if you run your own business mm-hmm. or work for yourself, a lot more. Um, and so it's really important that you kind of enjoy that. And I think part of the way, the only way to enjoy that is to be really authentic. Yeah. And and you've got to, you've got to do that. Um, because uh, uh, we've got two kind of parts to our business that I would say kind of a USP. And obviously one of them is, is that for good stuff. 
we haven't interviewed anyone that hasn't mentioned ethics in the application because it's such a key part. You've got to live that kind of day to day. Yeah. It's got to be part of who you are. And I find it, I find it strange now that I kind of went to work and kind of, there was, there was two of me. Mm. I think we always kind of put this kind of, you know, there's a, there's a, there's us that we kind of present to the world where we kind of, we want to project who we are. And then there's kind of maybe who we are around our family and friends and they're, yeah. they're slightly different people. But I find it really strange that, that I would go to work and be someone completely different and kind of hate what I did. Mm. Um, but that was the kind of the feeling, you know, you needed a good job and it needed to be stable and, and, you know, creativity is a little bit kind of all, yeah, that's a wobbly bridge. And it could go terribly wrong. Well, yeah, okay, but what's what's the worst that's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And where's this? I mean, okay, yeah, you might get pensions and you might get some benefits for employment now, but it's fragile, more fragile than it's ever been, you mm. know, in the world. So, arguably, though, you know, you can mm. you can find sustainability and, and support mm. in that arena now if you do it true to yourself. But the whole, like, the whole um, society is set up with that kind of mentality of like if you're if you're employed it's secure mm-hmm. and if you're self-employed well that's that's harder yeah um when you when you apply for a mortgage and things like that it's kind of like oh you're self-employed Big it's time. kind of oh we need a lot more evidence <laughs> and it's like do you because actually as a self-employed person i've got a lot more visibility on the cash flow and the longevity of my business mm-hmm. than i ever had when i was employed yeah. in in another organization, they could let me go any day. And I didn't know, I was none the wiser. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually I can kind of see exactly kind of where I am as yeah. self-employed. So you get much better visibility on stuff like that. I think you're right. Yeah. Society kind of looks at you and kind of goes, oh, you're on your own. That's, that's yeah. dodgy. But I think that speaks to the historic perception of creativity and, and in general, doesn't it? Because it's just so much harder to quantify because of the nature of the beast and, and that there's only been little glimmers historically ancient Greece and the likes not to get too much into the weeds but where it's been seen as a leader as, a, as this prized thing in our society and in a, the talk off I, I don't know where this came from but I described it as um, that maths is bringing home their first romantic partner mm. when the door opens it's art mm. the family freaks out and then the trainer's strewn across <laughs> yeah, the hall yeah. and the bedroom door's closed and there's giggling behind the yeah. door and it's just like it's funny because I did that and I didn't hear a single laugh in the crowd and I'm thinking to carry on. You're not David Frank. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you know, but that, I think that's where that comes from. And it is, it's, you can't put it in a spreadsheet. You can't, you know, like mm. you say, you, we can see that lay of the land and you can kind of project a bit more. But when it comes down to facts and figures, mm. that's all people want to see mm. in those in those markets. And, mm. you know, so I think it's always going to be the way to a degree. Yeah, society relies on design to. to so we're, we're some of the biggest problem problem solvers Massive. in society and it's kind of it's not really viewed that way it's kind mm-hmm. of and i think that comes from a number of a number of places as well i think as as an industry we we haven't done ourselves a huge amount of favors mm. i think we a lot of the time what we do is very process-led and it's editing and it's having big ideas and it's being able to kind of you know call on life experiences and empathy and and things and and take those in and kind of go where are those where are those factors influencing in particular human behavior around what i want to achieve from this particular problem but i think it's 
as as problem solvers, it's we don't really we don't really kind of project that as process. Mm. We've 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 pretended for many years that that's magic, and mm. we see. And yeah, I don't want to be the kind of the moany one, the moany designer, but I see it a lot where people are kind of where they've got um, like in the branding world where they've got a particular methodology that really isn't a lot different from anyone else's methodology Mm. and it's trademarked uh, with a name and it's kind of and it's like you come to us you get this little bit of magic and we're not going to tell you what it is Mm. until you and what we're going to do is we're going to close the doors when you hire us going to take your money because you you wouldn't under you're not creative you wouldn't understand what we're doing and we close the doors and then we open it and we do a curtain drop and we go, ta-da, mm. look, at, look how clever we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've done that as an industry for a, for a number of years. And, I, you know, I've been part of that. Um, and I think that actually a little bit of kind of transparency between the two as to what we actually do. My parents don't really know what I do. They, they've got a rough idea, but yeah. they don't really kind of, you know, they're, they're not into the kind of the strategy side of it, which is actually where we add a lot of value. Yeah. It's more kind of, you know, what do you do? Like logos and posters and stuff. And it's kind of like, mm, kind yeah. of, kind of. You make images for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like adult colouring in. It's kind of like, and I've, and I've said that a number of times. Like There's I colour stuff and in. This is the reason I've, in my notes here, I've got, I've got your kind of breakdown, your steps. And I thought that was great for that reason, because it's just, you welcome the client into what they're going to get. And you just drop... Because there's good mystique, right? There's Bowie, the, mm. the pseudonym, yeah. the magic. That's music. That's different. I mean, it's, in what he did, there was great value to that mystique. But that's an artist, and you kind of expect yeah. that from an artist, right? That's well, kind of that buy mirrors can be bad when it comes to, like you say, when it just comes to that conversation and that transparency. I think it's great. So in your case here, identify the challenge, define the opportunity, build a strategy, iterate, create, delivery, activation, analysis. Immediately, you... you you make someone feel more comfortable with, with what they're going to get from you. And it's not that they want to know every step mm. of the process along the way, but with that framework, mm. okay, brilliant. You know, mm. they, they, they know what they're doing, so I can trust that they're going to give me the goods. Mm. And it's like I mentioned to you earlier, I did a mural for Sips in Salisbury. Um, and that was a great one. I kind of come, I just marched over to the bar on a night out. I'd gone through a long, quiet spell. I need to get a certificate. I've got a bit of energy back. Saw these blank walls in this otherwise colourful craft beer type place. Went over to Jacob at the bar, said, how open are you to discussing our colour walls? Yeah, okay, tell me more. Right, okay, brilliant. That's all I needed to know. I'll come in next Tuesday for a pint at lunchtime. We'll have a conversation. Mm. And one of the first things I did with, with Jacob was kind of like, right, let me, you know, show you the style. Let me sketch up. Let me show you how I envision it on the walls. And then I bring him in on the process and it takes away the nerves. As an owner of a place who's got to cover these big dominant walls, if I get that wrong... You know, it's going to look terrible on his business. So, but by bringing him in and having that rounded conversation, we both just felt great. The energy was flowing. And I think, yeah. what's the point in being all, you know, like you say, putting something on it that doesn't need to be there? Yeah, I mean, for me, that that's 100% the way my brain works. I think, I think you're exactly right. Hats off to anyone that can kind of do that. And I think there's, you know, there's, there's maybe the... There's the experience there and the credibility that's been built up by big agencies over the years and big projects to kind of back up these statements of, you know, they, they know what they're doing. Of it's course. not that they're kind of, it's not smoke and mirrors and it's all pretend. It's just, for me, 
over my career, I found it, I, I'm not the kind of curtain drop kind mm-hmm. of, here it is. That makes me really nervous. And for a number of reasons, because I've been in that situation where you've done that, where we've done that. And like someone goes, I don't like it. And I'm like, and then it's like, okay, what do I do about that? Um, whereas actually, if, if you start early and you bring those people on board and you help people to understand, and this is why this process is so important, like identifying where that particular challenge is and where's the value in solving that. Get everyone on board with that to start mm. with. Where's the opportunity? Where's the value in solving that opportunity? Get everyone kind of aligned as to, yes, there's value in doing that. Mm-hmm. So let's solve it. Okay, now how are we going to do it? Yeah. And then we bring them through that process as well. So we get everyone kind of on board. We try and limit the amount of people kind of feeding in. But everyone's working towards a common goal, you know, and that's why we're strategically focused because I really believe that this is the way to kind of to do it. And get everyone aligned on that. And then you start kind of introducing you know, the, the more visual side to it. And you kind of, and you can justify everything. And I say to the team here, like, I want you to be able to justify everything that's kind of on that page. Mm-hmm. Even if that justification is, well, it looks nice, doesn't it? But there needs to be a reason why that's, that's a justification. Yeah. And what, you know, where, where's the value in it just looking nice? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you carry people through that process and you bring them along, you don't get the big curtain drop at the end. So it's not such massive unveiling. In fact, like you get to a point where you launch a brand and people are, probably sick and tired of seeing it for the last like nine months yeah. of, of the process but what it does do is it stops like people turning around and going i don't like that i don't mm. like that color yeah. well they, they understand why it's that color yeah in the first place um so yeah so i, I think that's that's critical to that to that process and, and also it's shared satisfaction because they, by being a part of the process for their business it's like they they get some ownership too yeah and you're all there and then but does also does that not go the other way because you know in that kind of bohemian mindset where you go oh but it's if there is mystique and everything else surely it gives you more creative license because you've gone through the right steps and you're all on board you're all up to a level so therefore when it comes to the real you know the, the juicy creative ideas surely it, it gives them freedom then because of that yeah maybe I think that we try and we'll always try and push people mm-hmm. I'd rather be reined back than pushed forwards mm-hmm. um, so and and when it's very rare that we kind of go forward and kind of go here's, here's one idea this is the right idea mm. sometimes it is and you and but by that point you've you've had conversations with people they really kind of understand that you're you really get them even though you don't work as part of that company you feel kind of part of that mm-hmm. team because you really understand what's going on and I think that's that's easier to kind of get buy-in of like and ultimately I don't want to kind of force someone to do something that's massively outside their comfort zone of course because yeah. because you need people to believe in what you're doing mm-hmm. and by bringing them on that journey I think this helps is at some point, you, you've got to hand it over as a creative, and it's kind of like you know I've nurtured this thing for a while, and it's and now I'm giving it away, mm-hmm. and you've got to look after it. And we all we've all seen kind of what can happen when you hand something over and then you step away. But I think if you get people that that are on board with it and they really believe in it, then they're the brand ambassadors. No mm-hmm. one's going to sell that. Like I'm not going to be in six months' time when I'm not getting paid for that job anymore. I'm not going back going. 
you know, you should try this and you should do that. And mm-hmm. this is how to drive your brand forward. Have you thought about this? Yeah. Um, but so I think that you need that kind of engagement to, to really yeah. get it, that championing of that brand internally. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and that belief is, is, is key at every stage, like you say, of the job, but also just, yeah, I think the, the afterlife is, is critical too and gives it the best chance. So early on, how quickly did you sort of outwardly project your desire to do work for the Do Good Space? And, you know, did, did you actively seek work? Was it a case of one job will lead to another? How did the yours kind of... So the when we set up Pretty Clever, that was that was I guess the kind of defining moment. Twenty nineteen, April twenty nineteen, we were like, right, okay, we want to do work in this space. That's where we're going to focus. There was a time where in COVID, where we got where cash flow wasn't great. And I'd probably get told off for, by my wife for oversharing. But we, I came within about 30 days of, of losing business. Mm. And, and nothing makes you sit up and pay attention like that. Um, and there was a point just before that where we'd been brought, we'd been offered the introduction to a potential quite large project certainly large by our standards. And there was nothing wrong with it. They certainly weren't doing any harm in the world. There's there's certain conversations that we won't even have with people. Um, they were just selling a product that was, you know, was quite nice, but it wasn't actively trying to change the world. And I turned it down and, and I thought I was going to live to regret it. We haven't. Luckily, but I think that is kind of that's a that's a really nice defining moment mm. for us where we're kind of like no, we stick to it. So there's that one. There's another one which my wife is really really proud about, and that was after year one. So we'd gone into COVID, and you know we turned away a couple of clients, and we thought you know we're going to operate in this space, and it's all going to be good. And it wasn't great to start with, and we we just gone into we're about a month into lockdown of the end of our financial year and we we'd made a profit in year one not a big profit and from day one i said i want to give i want to give 10 percent of our profits away to charity mm-hmm. and we came to that end of that year and we sat down and we went through the finances and kate was like is this something that you want to do i know it is what you want to do but in terms of, we haven't, we haven't really got any work coming in and we need that money. Do you still want to do it? And I was like, yes. And she's like, even now she's like, that is incredible, incredible like moment in our history where yeah. it makes her really proud that we kind of did that and we yeah. decided to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think those kind of moments are, are the ones where we've gone, do you know what, that's, that's who we, that's who we are and that's what we want to do we we have to be really active about finding work we're not a big agency we're quite young probably lost a couple of years to covid realistically people don't know who we are i'm under no illusion that we're kind of you know anything that anyone's ever heard of mm. um we're trying to change that um 
And so we have to be really proactive. Mm-hmm. And we were in that quiet time as well during, yeah. um, during COVID. And I reached out to a number of companies, particularly B Corp companies, and said, look, this is our aspiration. We love you guys. There was nothing else apart from that. Um, do you fancy a coffee? We've got some time. And they were amazing. Like you, Everyone had time. But still, in terms of like how I've done business in the past, that felt significantly different. Mm-hmm. It felt like people were like, "Oh, you, you know, you want to do something nice? That's great." And and so do we. Let's have a chat about that. And we chatted to loads of people. We made loads of friends, and people were like really encouraging and really helpful, and gave us loads of advice around B Corp, and you know, and and kind of helped us to really see that that yeah, that's definitely what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've never found anything to the contrary with this industry, really. By and large, of course, you get exceptions, but, you know, whether it was moving back to Manchester or just, you know, there's been times like during this recent quiet malaise where, you know, I um, Simon Dixon in particular from Dixon Baxi was wonderful, very lovely guy. He was very passionate about design, constantly sharing and feeding back to the industry, particularly young people up mm-hmm. and coming. And... I've always found that a lovely ecosystem in our world because I think by and large people are quite grateful to be doing this thing that they would otherwise be doing as a hobby. Yeah. And I always happy to, I laughed to, to somebody recently, like I just, maybe I'm wrong and maybe it does happen, but I just can't imagine one dentist reaching out to another dentist for a coffee because they're both dentists. You know, it's just like, it, it seems weird to me. But There's got to be a, the, the old dental conference and stuff, surely, <laughs> right? It's... But in terms of off the cuff, you know, whenever I've moved anywhere new, I've been very quick to find mm. local talent and just go, I'm new to town. I'm also mm. doing what you do. Do you want to brew? And people don't mm. see it as weird at all. You know, it's kind of, mm. and that's a lovely thing. So yeah. here on that level is great also. And uh, yeah, no, it's also, you know, I think it's, in terms, of, so there's mystique on that level in terms of the job process, but also whenever I've been vulnerable enough to share the real stories and the struggles, people love that because I think there is a lot of pretense and a lot of, you know, you said, oh, people don't know who we are. It's like, I mean, so what to a degree? Okay, when it comes to finding work, that's quite mm. important, okay, but it's, that's different. But there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that it's probably going to be encouraging to a lot of people to hear that you do have to drive on that level to find the work because... We really do. We really have to be proactive on it. Mm. But it's, you know, it's part of the job. And I think that when you do that, I get approached a lot about new business and it's done in a way... I was laughing because I've had a couple of emails recently about like, they approach you and and it's, this is what we do. And we've discovered this about you, but you do this and this isn't very good, is it? But we can help you with that. And it's, and that's kind of like, that's, that for me feels really weird as a first kind of introduction to kind of go to someone. It's, it's like walking up to someone in the street, shaking their hand and going, I don't like what you're wearing, but I could probably help you with that. If you give me a bit of your time and your money. And it's and and for me that's just really weird. Whereas yeah. actually, you know, if if that's what you want to do, at least become friends with that person. But people don't want to don't want to invest in that kind of long term mm. like commitment to kind of new business. Yeah, and and it's something that we kind of we have to do. We you know we do on a regular basis and try and make friends and try and be embedded. And we're not the best at it, but mm-hmm. you know I I like to think we kind of approach it on a level 
first of like, you know, wooing that person into yeah. kind of going and finding out if they're right for us. Yeah. Because not everyone's right for us. You know, we're, you know, we work in, I'd say we're quite challenging. We're very strategic. Some people just want to come in and go, we need this, please do this. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's probably not us. Yeah. Um, so, so it's about kind of finding that that harmonious relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's worth the investment. Absolutely, and I've you know even now fifteen years in, I've switched tracks recently in that regard from what was always you know a very nice and polite introduction, but kind of going I'm an illustrator. This is what I do. I'd love to be able to bring something to the table. But actually, I've started now leading with questions about the person's role. I want to find out who they, you know the art director is, what they're doing, what their day to day looks like, mm. and who their clients are, so that I can then kind of go, okay, well. Now this is what I do, and this portion of my work might appeal to, to what you do, and let's have a conversation about that because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it becomes it's quite a personal industry in that regard, and I mm. think it's good to to learn about who you're approaching. Like you said, it's a really good analogy of the person in the street. I love the idea of that. <laughs> yeah, I want to see it happen. Actually, <laughs> I think it's it's like so much of our work revolves around empathy. Yeah, and it takes time. You'll never know, and we always say this. You know, we. Like when people kind of go, why? Like it's almost like an eye roll of like, oh, why do you need an onboarding workshop? Why do you need kind of this? And it's and it's and we we're honest about it because we'll never know you like you know you, mm-hmm. but we need to try and we need to get up to speed as quickly as possible because we need to understand what it's like yeah. to be you and to be your customers mm-hmm. in order for us to be able to deliver the best work. Yeah. And you only get that from kind of really good relationships where people are honest, where they're prepared to talk about the things that are a bit shit as well as the stuff yeah. that's great. Um, so I think that those relationships are really, really important to kind of to curate and kind of and, and build. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's interesting. I have, a, I have a local friend who's recently diagnosed with autism and he always he's got this very kind of he loves to find the humour in that because he's answered a lot of questions about his life and the way he is and he's got this amazingly dry sense of humour which is fantastic and um, and he talked about that recently and he said okay he said I just I've had to train myself to adhere to a few social norms because I was too brutal prior to learning mm. about this but he said, <laughs> he said you know he said, I don't want to you know when people turn up and it's like oh so who are you what do you do he's like no he said I want to where do you stand on religion? <laughs> yeah, straight. <laughs> I really love that. Yeah, the whole room, room shut down. Yeah, like, oh, someone no, arrived and going, oh, my name is like, no, 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 where yeah. do you stand on religion? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the projects because there's some that really jumped out at me, which I thought was fantastic. And I love the, um, the Mel Wireframed yes. project. Yeah. And what struck me a lot about a lot of your, your, your work, and the, particularly the case studies, is the complexity of it. Yeah. So, so we. So I'll talk a little bit about kind of the how we're set up and then that might kind of help with some mm-hmm. of the projects. So the type of agency that I'm trying to build is that we don't employ very specific skill sets. What we do is we employ a group of people that are very good at solving problems through design. And that is very strategic focused. And yes, those people have gone to university and studied illustration or graphic design or whatever they've studied, and or not in my case, um, and they've got skills that they can kind of bring to the table. But actually, the the fundamentals is kind of going: how do I help this client understand what that challenge is? Mm. And again, you know, talking about the value in solving that, and then how do we go about that? 
And how do we pull on kind of real world experiences and other things that aren't design focused in order to kind of solve those? Um, so we are quite good at solving complex stuff, which is why people kind of come to us and ask us to do certain things. So, so Mel's a really good example. So we met them in lockdown. They're another B Corp. And they were one of the people that actually really championed us going for it. Really, really lovely people. A company called 58. Uh, they work in anti-modern slavery, human trafficking stuff. Really heavy. Um, until very recently, they were the highest scoring B Corp in the UK. I mean, these people, are, they're, they're amazing, amazing people. And they approached us and said, basically, we've got this, we've got this idea and we've got a dev team, but we don't really know how to kind of take this idea of what we want to do mm. and the steps that we need to kind of go through and build it. For us, that's perfect. So we don't do in-house development. We don't, because we're so small, we can't, we can only really afford to employ someone that codes in one language. If a client comes to us and goes, we need, we need something digital, a website, an app, whatever that is, we're going to sell them that solution no matter what, because, because I've got their, I've got bills to pay. So, okay, we're going to build you this. And that's not always the right solution for everyone. Actually, when we've thought about it and gone through a process, they might be better off using something else. So we've got a kind of series of kind of development partners and things like that. And we work with a few people that have got in-house development or their own development partner. And where we kind of sit in that analogy, the one that I kind of, it, the way that I explain it to people is if you want a new house, you can go direct to a builder and that builder can build you a house and they might build you a very good house, but they might not ask you some of the questions that might help you have a better designed house. Mm -hmm. What you might do is you might go to an architect and they'll design that house and then they'll work with a builder that is right for the plans that they've developed for your needs and then work with them to kind of build it. That's us. We're the architect in mm -hmm. those jobs. So yeah, so they came to us and said, can you help us? And so, yeah, so we went through a very long process of going, actually what we need to do is we need to kind of step back and take what you've got because they had a kind of basic working wireframe of, of an app, extract all that stuff and kind of work through this process of kind of building that out. Who are the people that are going to use it? How, you know, taking on into account. And the people that used it were nuns in India. So it's kind of, it's, it's a real niche group of, of individuals <laughs> yeah. that it's kind of to try and kind of get in that kind of mm. empathy zone of, of these people. And what we found is, is actually technology was not necessarily the easiest thing for people to use. So we had this kind of acronym of MEL and then we developed a kind of character around that in order to kind of help almost a bit like the kind of Microsoft paperclip in terms of helping them through that journey, mm. um, as well as doing kind of, you know, where does information sit and what makes sense to kind of put where on what page and, and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, but I, mean, I think there's a really important ripple effect from that. And I think it's right now, you know, look at this. I mean, the speed of technology is mind-blowing for me. I'm, I've just turned 40, you know, and we're, here we are with chat GPT and mid-journey, you know, earth shakers, really, in, in the art world and, and industry. And so, God, my, my poor dad, who's, you know, 68, turned 68, and, you know, he uses eBay and he can use his email kind of thing. But we, we, we have to be careful, don't we, in society about 
leaving large swathes of people behind or eliminate mm. people. Even in as things as simple as voting. Yeah. Registering to vote. Yeah. Fundamental democratic place. Mm. So really when you look at work like that and how crucial design is yeah. to, to accessibility and, mm. and to inclusivity. You know, particularly in that realm and mm. human trafficking and the likes, it's yeah. It's a major, major project and then speaks to the power of it. Mm. So we've worked with them on uh, on a number of different projects. They also do another app um, which is widely available called Just Good Work, which is available to migrant workers that are travelling uh, from one country to another country. Uh, and they provide the, the right information and, and some safeguarding around that. And that isn't always the easiest thing to do because there's there's legal things that need to happen mm. but then those those lines are sometimes blurred so it's kind of like how do you give someone the right advice but also kind of say to them if you don't allow things to bend and flex slightly then then you probably won't get a job so it's kind of like, no, you shouldn't be paying fees to these people because legally you're not supposed to. If you don't pay any fees to these people, you you won't get a job. Right. <laughs> kind of. yeah. So it's kind of like, how much is taking the piss? Mm. So it's but but they can't really say that. They have to kind of put the legal framework in place. So it's a really, really difficult thing mm. to communicate. And then we worked on a project with them recently because they came to us and they said yeah, we've got this app and, and we and it works. We've got a particular challenge. We've got a group of people that are going from Uttar Pradesh in India to the Middle East and adult literacy is low. So we've got an app that contains loads of text and we're worried that people aren't going to be able to read it. So what can we do to solve that? So then we did some research around the technology challenges around that and we into our go-to kind of things like oh you know it's india the wi-fi is going to be and the internet's going to be shit it's and and that's a wrong assumption on our part and and so we need to kind of factor that in when we're kind of because the, the easiest solution is video audio yeah so we need to integrate that somehow and so that's, that's an easy win but how do we kind of how do we solve the problem oh you know, the internet's not going to be very good, so it all needs to kind of go into the app. That's the initial assumption, but we need to we need to understand that. And then we went through a per- period of kind of speaking to people and, and understanding on the ground. Actually, we found out that uh, internet in India is magnificent, and it's mm. like and it's the cheapest in the world. Yeah. Um, so it's abundant, but actually the technology is not that great. So people are using really old phones. Mm. So we found that they quite often have to delete an app in order to install an, a newer one mm. because old phones, lower space, sounds bigger like, apps. Sounds like me, to be honest. And if all that content's loaded into the app, it's going to be really big. Mm. So we were like, actually, if there's access to internet and things like that, and it's and that's not the, the barrier, you know, do we need to kind of pull that from somewhere else? Is it kind of, is it, you know, mm. it's not preloaded into the app, it's it pulling it through. So there was like things like that, like problems that we... We solved. A- and what does that look like from a studio perspective? Because I, you know, I was browsing the website for part of the research, and it's always nice to see, you know, kind of wall boards and, and reference. I actually saw one of my own pieces on that, which was a lovely surprise to run over a cat poster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, do do you get 
into a physical environment you've got a nice space to work in here is it kind of you get off screens to begin with and, and have a what does that mean like give us some insight into that process as a team so i think i when i was having not gone through the creative university system i managed to get i worked down here for a little bit and it was kind of like i thought you know i trained myself how to use these packages and that makes me a graphic designer and there was a there was a big gap in my knowledge. I managed to get a job in London with an agency that was it was hard to get a job in London. And I had a really honest conversation with this lady and she was like with a recruitment agency. I was like, why am I not getting in interviews? And she was really blunt, but I like that. And she was like, Everyone's putting your C V in the bin because I think it's shit. <laughs> Like, you haven't got a graphic design degree. You haven't really worked for anyone of note. Yeah. You know, you've got limited experience. And, you know, and, and so I was like, okay, great. How do I solve that? Um, and so I started kind of sending out stuff, offering people to kind of, to work for free. I think enthusiasm goes a long way. So I was like, I'll work for free. If, if I'm no good, then you can bid me. One person took me up on that. Well, the first person that took me up on it, I ended up getting a job with and I stayed with them for nearly five years. That's an agency called Cog Design and the creative director there, Michael, obviously saw where there was, saw there was potential, but saw where there was a gap mm. in terms of like, and was really, really keen in terms of getting me off a computer. I remember a project came in once and we were pitching these kind of ideas. And one of them was going to be around this kind of diorama. And I was like, oh, I can create that in Photoshop and stuff like that. And he was like, what are you doing? So like, go and make it and photograph it. And there was lots of stuff like that. So that kind of, that, that really helped me understand the value of getting away from a computer. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think that we need to do a lot of. And I try and do here. I don't like printing loads of stuff out all the time for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. I do think we achieve, and there's things like Miro and stuff, but we do still try and get us in a meeting room and get it up on the big screen and get everyone kind of contributing to that mm-hmm. centrally. Sometimes we don't use screens at all and we kind of go, this is the idea. Go in the meeting room, close the doors, here's some paper, here's some Sharpies. I want ideas. I don't want finished products at this stage. Yeah. So that is the kind of early part of that process. It's, mm. it's really important for us to kind of step away and to pull on real world experiences, something that's not, and it's something that I'm trying to instill in everyone at the moment where it's, we don't just need to look at other graphic design examples. In fact, that's probably the last thing yeah. we need to do. That's how you feel AI. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, Actually, we need to we need to work out. Okay, what do we want to achieve? How do we need to make if it's human centered, which the majority of the time it is? How do we need to make that person feel? Mm-hmm. Or what experience do we want that person to have? And where else in the world do they experience that crucial thing? That's that's empathy. That's mm-hmm. understanding kind of different cultures and and different things and 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 influences as to and then and then we use that as an input. Oh, all of those things we've noticed. Uh, a similar colour. Well, that colour must kind of then invoke yeah. that kind of reaction from that human being. Let's let's use that because it makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, like you work for Cancho was great too. A great example. 
outdoor backpacks, durability mm. and, and, you know, and multi-use. It's, like, mm. it's just, you can't, I mean, you can, of course, you can do that entirely through a screen, but you probably shouldn't. Mm. Not when something's out there and people, you know, this is a product to use in the wild. And mm. um, you have to get into, the, like you said about, you can't know that person like that person knows themselves. Yeah. Of course you can't. But you have to try and live a modicum of their life and yeah. just get a taste of what, you know, where the thing's going to live in the yeah. real world. And I think you have to vary the processes and mm. the research and the inspiration. Yeah. Um, again, to reference Simon and then Dixon Baxi, they've recently done some amazing work for football clubs, so for Everton and yeah. AC Milan, full yeah. rebrands. But, that, but yeah. we talked in depth about, you know, he talked about taking the staff out to, to games in the San Siro and, and, and hearing the sounds of the ultras stomping and the flares in the crowd and mm. why that was crucial. To, to feed all that into the process mm. of understanding what it meant. And it, that was in response to me asking about that being something of a poison chalice designing mm. for a football club because it's a very partisan audience mm. and you're always going to upset a few of them. But Simon believed it didn't have to be the case. If you if you did your due diligence and you were respectful enough to go and live that life or a portion of it, then ultimately it lived in the work. And he put it in a really beautiful way by saying, you know, I should never, I can never and should never have the liberty of whispering over that fan's shoulder about, oh, we chose that colour palette or that line weight because yeah. I should never have that. But he believed yeah. that they, all the same, all that process and that research would resonate in the, in the and, and would come through with the final work in some way, whether it was yeah. subconscious or... And I thought that was, you know, magic. And yeah. I think you have to get there by, you know, yeah, doing that and, and going different roads to get mm. there. I think experiencing it directly, I mean, we're... I'd love a budget that would allow us to kind of go and spend yeah. time being customers and things like that. I, I, I mean, I've got um, a good relationship with a with a very good, my favourite like branding agency in in London, and and seeing the kind of stuff that they do, where they kind of where they go and they did some work for Uber Eats, and and they went and kind of became delivery drivers and mm. and ordered like food and things yeah. like that and it's it's you know it's it doing that stuff and living and breathing it to really kind of understand okay where where are the challenges around yeah. that what are we solving do we want to make it look nice and for everyone to kind of go isn't that pretty yes mm-hmm. um is it going to get panned on like lots of creative blogs where people project really subjective opinions probably because <laughs> that's part of the process yeah um but actually in, ter- in terms of doing a good job yeah really kind of understanding kind of what it's like to be them mm-hmm. yeah and like you say yeah the budget thing it all, it all comes into it doesn't it and i know simon and father have got many stories of when it was just them two starting out when they had to be out there doing all the legworms so yeah. it's that kind of uh, it's i think it's a time thing isn't it and experience but you know i think you, there's ways you can filter that down to whatever wherever you are and be still mm. you know take that the time to do that um so, you know, in terms of you talked about that, I think it was on the website, you talked about the importance of, of spending time with the client and right from early on in the process of a job. Mm. Do you price, just for a really sort of blunt question, but do you price that into a project fee? Because I'm thinking just from personal perspective, there are many jobs where I would have loved to have spent a lot longer, you know, living, like you said, living that life and, and, yeah. and getting more into that side of things. Reality was different. I got five, maybe five days, and I'm in my little garden studio, and I've got young yeah. twins. So it, that's my personal circumstance. But is that something you factor into a kind of project budget? And, and and if so, how do you express that to the client? Or I don't know. Is it? 
Yeah, so so I mentioned earlier about the kind of onboarding thing and kind of yeah. why do we need to spend money on that? And it's kind of helping people understand where the value in that is. And that's, that's not easy. Mm. Uh, I think if you have got a, a, a really big agency and there's bigger budgets and things like that, then then maybe that's kind of, you can, you can integrate that more into it. We have to work on quite lean budgets. Um, yeah, money's like pricing and stuff for, for things is, is always really difficult and, and more to the point of showing people where the value is. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest challenge is like project management. I yeah. think it's kind of, again, this is what we're going to charge for project management. We're really clear up front from day one, we charge for our time, not our output. Mm-hmm. So you're not paying a fixed price to have something. You're, you, we're going to give you a price of how long we think it will be to do a good job on this. And we will track it for you and we will give you regular updates. And if everything goes how we expect it to go and you expect it to go, that's where we're going to end up okay. roughly. Yeah. Um, do we overinvest in projects all the time? Yeah. Massively. I mean, you know, some of the, because we track all our time, some of the things I look at and I'm just like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we got paid for all of that? We'd, yeah. <laughs> we'd earn a lot more money as a yeah. studio and, and things would be a lot better. But, um, but it's not. But I do think it's really important to kind of go, this is the value of, of doing that. We had uh, a recent meeting with a potential new client and we were going to spend the day or a few hours, but a day by the time we travelled to London and travelled back, um, a few hours with them kind of working out. They had a project in mind and said, this is what we want to do. We were like, well, we kind of want to understand a little bit more about you and a little bit more about this project. Mm. And you, you might be right. You probably are right. We don't want to kind of assume that you're wrong, but um, we really want to understand as to where, is that the right way to solve that problem? And we were like, to do that and to come spend a day with you to do that, we're going to charge you for that. Mm-hmm. And that sets it. And they were like, oh, Okay. And we were like, this is what we'll do afterwards. We'll write it up and we'll send it back to you. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of that playback to people is is really vital. Mm-hmm. And explaining the process and being kind of open and, and honest with people about mm-hmm. where the value in doing that is. So you want us to kind of do stuff. You know, we're, we're going to solve a problem. We need to kind of really understand what that problem is. Yeah. And there's a, there's a level of a great level of integrity there as well because... You know, the next agency might just go, yeah, we can do that, of course we can do mm. that. Take it on, maybe not do the best job or maybe not be the right fit. I think there's a lovely integrity to that. You really find out who values design yes. when you do that. I was going to say that must act as a bit of a gatekeeper. Yeah, it does. And mm. and it's not to say that we wouldn't work with people that, that refuse to do that and go and go, this is just what we need. We just need you to, to, to do it. Yeah. But I want the work to be fulfilling for us and it's kind of, as thinkers about that, that's kind of, that's not the most rewarding work, but we will do that stuff because it's, you know, it's bread and butter. Of course. It's it's a compromise is essential Um, somewhere. But yeah, but in terms of kind of, when you, when you send something out to someone and you put like, this is the kind of immersion phase and we're going to do this and this and this and the stuff that you think we're doing, we're not doing that until stage four, like mm-hmm. kind of colouring in and we can show you some pretty pictures and stuff like that and get you really excited about that. <laughs> we're going to do all this stuff first and that's going to be quite a lot of budget. When you get someone that kind of goes, yeah, that sounds great, 
you're just it's it's a game changer because you're yeah. like you really see where where we're going to add value as an agency mm-hmm. yeah we're, we're not just artworking something yeah. that you need we're, we're kind of we're solving particular yeah. challenges it's a great feeling isn't it i've had a few times recently where you know i've been doing this thing long enough now and i do a lot of writing as well fiction and non-fiction people have started to bring that in and that's a great that's such a great pause because the only thing i'm trained to do is the formally is the illustration mm. illustration degree but it's like you said about hiring people that are creative thinkers and, and mm. problem solvers and that's always been the big attraction to this industry for me is the thinking and the ideas mm. and the relationships and everything else so yeah you know I provide, of course i'll provide you with some powerful artwork because that's what i do and that's what it says in the tin but when people say to me well you do that podcast would you like to be part of the interviewing process to get the research well, yes that's, yeah. that's where i want to yeah. be i want to yeah. bring in that rounded sphere of creativity because i can do so much more than draw and it's like it's the i agree completely mm. it's an incredible feeling and i think creative people creative people i'm not sure i agree <laughs> with that term as, as a no, whole but people that work within the creative industry yeah. or have found that kind of with creativity yeah are are quite often really curious people we're quite nosy mm-hmm. so it's kind of to be involved in that process and to kind of find out and to learn stuff is it's really interesting so mm-hmm. it, it does really kind of excite me to kind of that's not when we when we work with clients, good example is like when we work with clients, we talk about websites, and they're like, "Oh, we, you know, when you start, we break it down into process of kind of what we do th- each stage." And they're like, "When you start designing the website," and they're talking about the stage where we're talking about visuals, yeah. where we're kind of shows. And I'm like, "No, no, no!" By the time we get to that point, the website is designed. We've worked out all the hierarchy of information, like all the UX, all the kind of mm-hmm. um, the user groups and the user journeys and all of that stuff. We've done all that work. That's the, that's the design. And this is the kind of the visual side of it, yeah. which you've probably got a framework for in place already. We don't necessarily want to reinvent the wheel. We want to kind of lean on that mm. and some of the thinking that we've done already to kind of inform the kind of the visual yeah. look and feel. But a lot of that works like, the design work is done, but it always mm. makes me kind of smile when people go, when we do the design stuff, because that's the stuff <laughs> well, that yeah, they kind of see. The like, organic stuff that you did, and that mm. was a good example of that, of not reinventing the wheel and working with an existing set of, mm. you know, well, an existing visual identity. Mm. Uh, and also the green sphere stuff, you know, like, that I, I loved the, the subtlety in that project. Mm. So, I mean, if you, could you give us just a little insight into that project? Because I with you. Yeah, so that was that was a digital project, and they they approached us about a, a like a website that they needed um, to to update, and it's they were quite hands on with that stuff. They were it, that was less kind of I say less thinking led, and they were more prescriptive around kind of these. This is the feeling that we really want to get out of it, mm. try these images. And they kind of pointed us down this kind of NASA route and we were a bit like, oh, it's a bit kind of, you know, is it? but then we found some really strong imagery around that. And it was kind of about kind of breaking stuff up and understanding, okay, where do people need to get to really quickly? Mm. And kind of having just that kind of sim- simplified kind of landing page of like, here's, here's the main bit that you might yeah. want to read about. And then here's some kind of, menu items that are kind of distilled and then nothing really kind of below the fold on that stuff and then people kind of can choose from from that particular point where they yeah. want to go but again that's the that's the again the necessity of compromise to a degree and it's not always a bad thing is it to 
sometimes you just have to go, okay, well, I'll, you know, there's the project we talked mm. about there where you really complex and it's mm. bottom up, but then, you know, sometimes to grab something and, mm. and to come in at a certain point and, and, and remove ego from yeah. that is really important. And I think that was, that was a very kind of portfolio led site and they had some content and it's a really good example of like something, someone coming to us and we kind of, we always try and demand kind of 90% finished content up front before we go down a digital project because mm-hmm. we're building it for the content. And that's a, they're, they're a good example of kind of like, we've got content. Yeah. And then it's kind of, okay, how do we, how do we reorder that content? Do we need to reorder that content? Mm. Let's look at the kind of where it naturally sits and kind of breaking that down into a fairly mm. kind of a, a decent user experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, really interesting. So moving forward, you know, you had this very organic journey into to where you are. Does that remain? As in, do you plan? Is it a case of that the focus is on doing the great work for the right people, and then any kind of growth will come as a result of that? Or do you have a sort of plan and targets as to growing as an agency or anything like that? A uh, bit both, yeah. really. So we have grown organically um we've never taken investment i don't really want to go down that route um i don't think we need to go down that route we've got a plan to grow to 12 mm-hmm. like a financial plan to grow to 12 um i've got a mentor that came about from me reaching out to someone a couple of years ago um he is um, he runs uh, Koto, still founder of Koto in London. And I reached out to it because they're like, they're an agency that I've always looked up to as like, they're really, really good at storytelling mm. and kind of, and immersing, and that immersion kind of stuff that we talk about, that really shows in their work. They're really, really good at kind of visually kind of telling a story of a brand. And that's something that kind of, that I've really aspired to. And I reached like out to him maybe a couple of years ago and said, you know, I, I want to grow an agency. I've started. I wish shit myself when I get to a point. And these are my exact words to him. I've never met him. Send him a, a thing on Instagram. I always shit myself when I get to a point where I have to hire someone. Um, can I pinch an hour of your time? And he was really good and said, yes. He actually said yes if you buy me a bottle of red wine <laughs> and uh, a decent bottle of red. And I was like, and I don't know whether, and, and we're still, and, and I spoke to him about kind of for an hour and we parted ways. And then, and we've, we've carried on that conversation mm. and he's been really, really good to me. Um, it's James Greenfield. And I don't know whether it's because I bought him a really, really nice bottle of red wine <laughs> or whether just because we got on quite well. Um, so I talked to him quite a lot, um, about stuff and, and he gave me a really, really good piece of advice that stuck. And he was like, once you, he was like, what, what's your aspirations? And I was like, I don't really kind of know. I don't really want anything kind of your size. Cause that's terrifying. That's multiple countries and <laughs> you know, a lot of stuff. Um, but never say never. Um, but, and he gave me a really, really good piece of advice. And he was like, once you, once you get to 12, once you get over 12, the dynamic changes. He was mm-hmm. like, once you get to a point where you can't sit everyone around one table, yeah, 
then the dynamic of that business really changes. So that's why we've got a plan to kind of get to 12 and then we'll kind of see where we are. Have we got a a time limit on that? No. Um, Would I like to get to that point quickly? Yeah. If there's enough work to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're in a space that's growing Mm. rapidly in terms of the for good space. But we do have to be really proactive about getting that. And because we are so selective on clients, it's, mm. it's not, you know, if we're turning away work, I'd rather do that and grow slowly than just take everything mm-hmm. and grow really big and kind of lose sight of why we set up in the first place. Mm. Yeah, because there'd be a lot of resentment coming there, wouldn't it? And, yeah. and, it, and it's, you've, you know, like you say, you made some, took some big risks there and some ballsy decisions, you know, to, to, to stay on track. Yeah, times when yeah, I don't know if they're balls or stupid, but yeah. <laughs> it's it's all right. We're still here. I suppose it depends how it turns out. Yeah, but I think you're right. And I, and I was going, I was going to ask you that to kind of wrap up. I was, you know, do you do you feel optimistic? Do you feel good? You know, because I think I, I talked to Katie Klanchensky, who is the founder, creative director of Smack Studios in New York, and they're in a similar sphere. You know, they, they, it was. They're, they're, they're trying to do work for good and help brands who want to do good to, to get better at doing that. So slightly different model, but very interesting work. And she was talking about the, you know, some of the statistics and I think it was something like some surveys have shown that 69% of people are willing to invest their money in brands who they perceive to be doing things right and sustainable and mm-hmm. that's growing. Yep. If you're looking at the different demographics of boomers, it's like under just under 50%. Younger people were getting up into the high eighties now, yep. you know, like, uh, and, and that's really exciting for someone like me who's been down a few rabbit holes about things like the climate crisis and a lot of ethical things. These things are important to see along the way because there's so much toxic headlines and the rest of it out there. So, do you feel good? And uh, you know, that, that's encouraging to hear that it's rapidly growing. Yeah. So, do you feel good, optimistic moving forward? So, it's rapidly growing for a number of reasons. Mm. and one because people want change and and we don't really have a choice that's kind of like yeah you change or that's it um but also the cynic in me says it's changing because there's a money shift mm-hmm. happening it's things like renewable energy and like renewable energy like wind turbines and things are getting to the point where they're producing energy at a, a lower pound per kilowatt than you can get from like fossil fuels so this kind of you know big switch across isn't always driven by the world to do good it's, it's financially led the thing that kind of thing to understand is it doesn't really matter why things are changing mm-hmm. it just matters that they are changing yeah i when we first started the company i drew a line kind of like just on the literally on a post-it note with a sharpie that was just a line and i've still got it kicking around the studio somewhere because i look at it every now and then and it's like i labeled activist at one end and then at the other end i wrote doesn't give a shit and i was like where do we sit on that line and we're not the activists we're not there's studios out there that will be going to every protest and and fair play because you know, that's that's amazing to be able to do that you know, and protesting and really kind of pushing hard. I sometimes call it the optimistic activist. And and that is our kind of activism, that optimism in that space is like, we are incredibly resourceful as a species, as human mm-hmm. beings. And I think that we will 
overcome whatever is thrown at us. Um, we, sh- we need to be doing that faster than what we're doing here at the moment. In terms of do I feel good about it, it's really mixed. You see a lot of people kind of like using this movement that's happening to kind of for, for some sort of gain where they're kind of like, we're doing this and we're part of this movement too. And, and you're not, you're clearly not. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. You're making a choice, but don't dress it up to be something that's not. Mm-hmm. In terms of what we do, I think it can be overwhelming. I think it can be, you know, we've had kind of discussions as a team where we're kind of, because we're constantly embedded in that, that area, we, we read so much about it. We see kind of like, mm-hmm. but what is really hopeful is there's so many people doing like good things off the back of it, all that want change. I mean, the B Corp movement has just absolutely like gone through the ceiling mm. um, in the last few years here. And that's because people want to do stuff in a, in a better way. They want that. They want less negative impact on, yeah. the, on the planet. So it can be overwhelming. It can be used by people to, to, dress something up to be what it's not. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter why things change. It just matters that they do change mm-hmm. and they are changing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really hopeful about mm. the future. And I think there's an, there's an element of optimism that comes through in our work. Yeah. There's, there's definitely on, the, it errs on the side of kind of, of like positivity. Very much so. It's tangible before we even met that mm. came through to mm. me. So yeah, hats off. Thanks. Like, um, yeah, it's very inspiring to see and helps you get through the rougher days. So that's really good. Yeah. And, you know, if all else fails, my fiction can get pretty dark. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, had, I don't know if you heard the episode with Dan Kieran. Um, if not, it's well worth a listen. Dan founded Unbound Publisher uh, 10 years ago, crowdfunding, crowdfunded publisher. And Dan's just an incredibly wise guy. And he lives on the next street from me. It was another dog walking connection. Mm. But when he was on the show, he talked about how because one of his books was called I Fought the Law, and it was kind of looking at democracy in the UK political system. Spent a year, I think maybe two years, talking to a lot of people in that area, and came away the, with the conclusion that it was going to have to be business that changed things because yeah. there were just so many party lines mm-hmm. to be towed and so much, for want of a better word, I guess, corruption yeah. going on, personal agenda, you know, careerists. Um, but then and it's kind of was going to have to be business, business that 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 took yeah. the lead and started to make false change yeah. because we again, like you said, we have to. That's how we set up. That lot are not doing it, then yeah. we have to make them yeah. because we feed them, yeah. particularly businesses. Yeah, you know, let's face it, that's who they're in it for. So it's kind mm. of like if those guys want it, then what choice do we yeah. give them? Yeah. And I think that's that's how we set up. That's how we're kind of that's the framework that exists. Mm-hmm. So do we burn it to the ground and start again? I'm not kind of. I know that some people think that that is the only way to do it. Do we do that? I'm not. I think there's there's probably a, a better way of doing it. Yeah. In that we kind of we leverage the system that we've got and we and we change it to kind of to work in in our favour. Mm-hmm. And you know, business is is exactly yeah. that. We need you know we all need to earn salary we all need to kind of yeah. where not everyone can afford to kind of do things just from the goodness of their heart so you know but but can we do things better absolutely yeah absolutely yeah echo that 
completely. The majority of my career, I've been fortunate enough to not do too much that's gave me night sweats. But there is the odd, you know, the odd client where I have to put a lens over that and sort of yeah. look in the mirror, and only when it's absolutely necessary to keep, you know, paying mm. that mortgage and everything. But I fight very hard to push my career in a direction where I don't have to do that. And I think we all do. I think that speaks to that optimism. So mm. it's great to hear. Do you think that's changed for you over the the years in terms of now? There's, there's certainly more publicity around we need to change. Do you think your approach to, to work over recent years has notably changed in terms of the way you look at it and scrutinise it as to whether you're more comfortable doing? It's, uh, you know, for the longest time, I didn't really have too much to, to, to worry about, really, in that regard. I think that the nature of my work brought in sort of nice, youthful, energetic yeah. clients, and yeah. that was, that's what was lovely. Yeah couple of bigger ones recently where I've had to look at it and had to some conversations with my wife to you know to go can I can I yeah. you know, do this yeah okay I need this financially but uh. but then it's the bigger picture as well because I have to sort of think well okay if that's going to finance me moving quicker to yeah. a space where I can be completely pure yeah, yeah. Then, I, then okay then you have to be realistic about yeah. that in the system in which we live yeah till that collapses you know then yeah. that's the realities you know yeah. so but yes i have certainly you know certainly now as a father two young children yeah. you know the world being like it is very much i have yeah. to be able to get out of bed in the morning and feel good about where i am and someone who wrote their dissertation on graphic activism and was very very inspired by a lot of benevolent work of course mm. you know it's a the, the, the vast the, the high majority percentage has to be good stuff you know stuff that i get out to see is being additive to people's lives and not you know, yeah. destructive. Yeah. Again, it's all nuanced, but yeah, you know, yeah. very, 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 uh, I do hold myself to high account on that because you only live once to our knowledge. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to be out the back door and go, look what a mess I've left. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that covers absolutely everything, unless there's anything else you want to shout about moving mm-hmm. forward. But I think we've had a nice, covered a lot of ground there. Yeah. It's been, it's been great to chat. Yeah. I yeah. know. Uh, lastly, where can people find your work? So we're at prettycleverstudio.com mm-hmm. uh, or we're on Instagram as, I should get this right, Pretty Clever Studio. Um, and that's, yeah, so they'll find, find more of us there. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure and thank you much for your time. Yeah, likewise. Thank you ever so much to John for taking the time out of a busy schedule with Pretty Clever. Uh, do go and check them out. They're brilliant. They're a great agency. Um doing lots of good work and lots of complex work. Uh, we talked about that on the show, and I hope you took something from it, but the complexity of some of their projects and the ambition, very, very impressive stuff. If you enjoyed it, let me know, at Ben Talon or at Ben Talon Pod. No, tell a lie, I've changed it, or at Creative Condition underscore on the social on Twitter and Instagram. Um, truth be told, I'm on at Ben Talon a lot more. I'm trying to trim down my social use and get in the headspace for creativity a lot more. You might have noticed, I'm still there. But you can email me also if you want a quicker response at hello at bentallon.com. I hope things are good with you guys. I hope you're staying afloat. I hope you're staying mentally well because it's tough out there, as I mentioned, particularly with the state of things climate-wise at the minute and the heat waves and the floods we're getting around the world. Let's hope we can play our part in this. Stay positive. Stay inspired. Thank you for checking in. A big thank you to the supporters of the show, illustrationx.com, for all their illustration and animation portfolios. Thank you for listening, guys. It really does mean a lot. Have an awesome week. See you later.